0: Hey everybody, Luke McElroy back again for another Physiology Secrets. We've got a a big question to come today, so I'm excited about this question. There's lots of layers to it, which I do enjoy. Uh, It's come from Duncan Penfold. So his question is, we'll have to break it down, but the question is what's the difference between a fatigued muscle, for example, at the end of a marathon, and a muscle with delayed onset muscle soreness, for example, the days after the marathon? He goes on to say that we spoke about DOMS and introduce, so DOMS being the late onset muscle soreness, spoke about DOMS and introducing more oxygen to clean out the hydrogen, but what other than rest can be done to a fatigued muscle during exercise or after? Another question, in each state, what does the muscle look like? In each state, what is happening chemically? And he goes on to say that most, most people are fatigued after riding five hours plus in an Ironman, but running the first five kilometers off the bike feels easy. What's happening there? Is it, uh, is it different movement patterns? Is it that, uh, is it a, what is it say? Is that really a fresh feeling, or is it something, or is it just a different feeling? Just putting a few angles on it to help you talk through any info is appreciated. Cool, so let's break this down. What's the difference between a fatigued muscle for example, at the end of the marathon, and a muscle with delayed onset muscle soreness, cool. So fatigue is multifactorial. Um, A lot of things can cause fatigue. Let's go to Dom's first. So delayed onset muscle soreness is produced when we have micro tears in the muscle and associated inflammation. So you go and do exercise, particularly exercise that you're not used to doing. So if you, for example, go to the gym and you're not used to it, um, and you use muscles that you're not used to, or if you've had some time off running for a while and then you go and do a run, or you do some training which is longer than you used to or more intense than you used to, you often get delayed onset muscle soreness. So, so the, the, the soreness which lasts for several days after finishing the activity. So what that is, is, is is mini micro tears in the muscle which become inflamed so that we can recover. Okay, so the, the muscle is torn because you're putting repeated stress on it and it becomes inflamed because as we know, oxygen is how we will um, to repair them is how we repair the muscle so by inflaming the the muscle tissue we send more blood therefore more nutrients more oxygen to the site to then make it recover um little fun fact with that uh, it's a little bit of a tangent but i might just quickly cover it i I listened to a a podcast the other day from science for sport and they were talking about um reducing doms through using ice baths so cold water immersion and it's interesting because cold uh, What cold water immersion does, Listen to a previous podcast we we did, but what cold water immersion does is um, reduce inflammation so that you don't feel that DOMS effect, so it's it's less severe. But what they also found was that by doing that and reducing the inflammation, that it would um, lead to suboptimal hypertrophy. So it would basically, your muscles wouldn't grow and adapt as well. So they were recommending that, hey, let's use ice baths for people who need a backup competition. If you've got like, another big training day the next day or a race the next day and you need to be fully recovered, then you use an ice bath. If you don't, if you have plenty of time to recover and you just want to get the stimulative benefits, then it's actually better to not have an ice bath. Um, so yeah, bit of a tangent, but a little fun fact there. So DOMS is very specific. It's, it's, it's tears and it's inflammation as a result of that tear to recover because we send blood and oxygen to it. In terms of fatigue, um, there's, it's multifactorial, okay? So we have two types of fatigue. We call it peripheral fatigue and central fatigue. Peripheral fatigue, actually I'll So central fatigue is to do with the brain, All right, central nervous system. So it's the brain and the spinal cord. So peripheral fatigue is everything else. So muscles, legs, arms, muscles, all that sort of stuff, all right? We can get peripheral fatigue, which is the, more, the most common one, is peripheral fatigue. We can get peripheral fatigue from a number, or for a number of reasons, all right? So one reason we can get peripheral fatigue is through fuel depletion. So we run out of carbohydrates. If we run out of carbohydrates, then we know we need more oxygen to metabolize fat, and that is gonna cause a sense of fatigue, okay? We are not gonna be able to contract as forcefully because we have to reduce the exercise intensity because we need more oxygen. Ways to combat fuel depletion is basically to ingest carbohydrates, gels, sports drinks, high GI stuff during activity, and also carbohydrate load prior to. Another peripheral fatiguing mechanism is when we start to um, lose calcium release into the muscles. So calcium is needed for muscular contractions. It's released from a, a place called the sarcoplasmic reticulum, which is just in the muscle. It gets released from there into the muscle, and then calcium is what helps our muscle fibres contract. What happens during late fatigue, so when we get you know, quite a long time into the race, you know, three, oh, not even, two, three, four, five hours plus, the calcium starts to be, to be released from the sarcoplasmic reticulum a lot slower. So we can't maintain the steady flow of calcium. If we can't maintain the steady flow of calcium and we need that to contract a muscle, we're gonna have to reduce the muscle force as well, which is going to cause fatigue. We can't produce as much power. A way that we can combat that is through caffeine ingestion. So um, we can actually ingest caffeine late in a race and that will maintain, to an extent, will maintain calcium release into the muscle so that we can continue to contract. So that's where caffeine really comes in handy. Um, The exact dosages are um, a little bit individual and I can't off the top of my head i can't remember the exact uh, or, or the, the recommended guidelines but it's something that i'll, I'll look into and, and post somewhere as well a third peripheral fatiguing mechanism is one that we're all familiar with which is the hydrogen ion accumulation so the lactic acid when lactic acid is entered ent- enters into the to the muscle and the blood it reduces the ph of the blood okay so chemically going back to the next question chemically what does it look like um or what's happening is that we're reducing the ph of the blood now I've sort of explained this in a a previous podcast Remember, pH is to do is potential hydrogen. It's to do with the acidity and alkalinity of a fluid. The higher the pH, the more base it is. The lower the pH, the more acidic it is. Blood pH likes to sit between 7.35 and 7.45. All right. So a fairly fine range. When we have hydrogen ions accumulating, if we can't clear it out with oxygen, we get more hydrogen ions. We're going to go towards the acidic side of the scale. So our blood might be 7.4 as it is right now. Well, we accumulate hydrogen ions and it gets down to 7.3, that's outside the optimal range. What that's gonna do is it inhibits our mitochondria's ability, our muscles ability to undergo glycolysis. So the process of turning fat or carbohydrate into energy, into usable energy. The more hydrogen and the more lactic acid we have, the more the the mitochondria shut off and don't work properly and the less energy they can release. So a way of combating that during an activity is to reduce the intensity is one. Um, to that's pretty much the main one to be honest. During it, you have to reduce the intensity. And you see it yourself, you go past your threshold and you have to back it off because you're feeling the fatigue. Um, afterwards, what we can do is do an active recovery, so light cycling, light running, light swimming, whatever it is. We can do contrast contrast bathing, uh, bathing, so hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, for sort of two minutes on, one minute off, um, to basically force the blood back to the heart. So it can, it, it uh, the, the the veins will dilate and let blood go through, and then they'll constrict to force the blood back up to the heart. So it's just a way of circulating the fatiguing hydrogen ion and circulate back to the heart, where we can breathe in oxygen um, and and get rid of it there. Um, I sort of mentioned bicarb loading as a way to do it prior to exercise as well, really only applicable for events lasting eight minutes or less. So bicarb is high pH, so it gets us from 7.35 7.45, closer to that 7.45, maybe 7.5 range. So it takes longer for that hydrogen ion to get back into optimal and then below optimal as well. So you can last a little bit longer before it starts to fatigue you. But once you get beyond eight minutes it doesn't matter because you it can only work for so long. Um, another for t- peripheral fatiguing mechanism is a build-up of what we call inorganic phosphate okay so there's three energy systems ATP-PC system that's your sprint system that's when you're doing 10 seconds or less going maximal sprint from a full recovery you've got your anaerobic glycolysis system which is when you start to feel the lactic acid 30 seconds 60 seconds stuff or bursts of high intensity and you've got your aerobic system which is obviously all day pace the atppc system to so the sprint system what that involves is um basically um, breaking down energy molecules so ATP a- and then putting them back together again if we can't put them back together again fast enough we get this inorganic phosphate floating around in the muscle okay so it, it's, it's it's as you know 10 second sprint it's super fast right so it's, it's break down the energy put it back together break it down put it back together break it down put it back together okay if we can't put it back together fast enough we have these inorganic phosphates floating around the muscle and in the blood what these do is the muscle t- for the muscle? In order for a muscle con- to contract, we know we have to have calcium released into it. But what actually happens is these two filaments. So at the, at the absolute microscopic level of a of a f- muscle fibre, we have actin and myosin. Actin and myosin work together to contract the muscle. So what happens is the actin will bind to the myosin and um, basically shorten to contract. Right. So that think of the think of the Um, the myosin having like holes in it, for example. So it's like, I think of it like, I don't know, a tree log, and it's got lots of these little holes in it. Um, And then the actin is like a branch that you can just slot into that hole, and then you can always pull it and contract it, right? So what happens is these inorganic phosphates, they start to compete with the holes available. So let's say this log has 100 holes in it, so you can get 100 sticks in it. Well, if you've got these inorganic phosphates, which can be, I don't know, let's call it sawdust, filling up the holes, filling up half the holes that we have, then we can only get 50 of those actins in there. If we can only get 50 of the actins in there, we're only gonna produce half the force. So the more inorganic phosphates we have free floating around, the more sites they take up so that we can't get actin, actin and myosin binding together to contract. So we don't want that, we don't want them free floating. Is that gonna be a a factor for like an Ironman performance or a marathon? Probably not, it's more like, yes to a little bit of an extent, but it's more to do with your sprint stuff, but it is a factor of fatigue. Um, The way to get rid of it is is just passive recovery, all right? So you actually don't wanna do an active recovery, you just wanna do, you just wanna rest, you know, three minutes and you'll get rid of most of it, okay? Um, Yeah, another one we've got is dehydration. Again, this sort of leads to more of a perception of fatigue, but dehydration, um so we lose blood plasma volume we sweat out the fluid in the blood the blood becomes thicker therefore our heart rate increases what's that going to do it's going to increase the the lactic acid and the hydrogen component in the blood so it's going to make it more acidic which is not good as we know Um, we're also going to send as i said we're going to send blood to the surface of the skin so we start sweating so that means less oxygen for the working muscles again causing that perception of fatigue Um, And this can lead into the central fatigue where we talk about uh, weaker signals being sent to the body. Okay, just before I go on to weaker, no, I'll go into it now, So, so weaker signals. So if we become dehydrated, our core body temperature increases, perhaps we stop sweating as much then there comes a point where our thermometer in our brain says, nah, no more, this is gonna kill me. So they stop sending as strong signals to your muscles. So they physically just cannot contract as forcefully. So all these peripheral things aside, they're all playing a part, but it put them all all aside. The central nervous system is the governing body. It is, it is, what, it is what controls the legs and the arms. So if it's too hot and it's uncomfortable and it thinks that it's in trouble, it's gonna to start to send weaker signals so you physically cannot contract that muscle fast enough or hard enough to continue at your current pace which is obviously going to cause fatigue okay that's when you see the people crawling over the line at the end of hawaii iron man and all that sort of stuff um, back to dehydration how do we get rid of it or how do we combat it it's it's really a case of um yeah fluids so making sure we're hydrated before the event and particularly during the event okay so if it's a hotter day maybe you want to go towards your um, hypotonic sports drinks so high electrolytes low carbohydrates not low work carbohydrates um, so that's better for hydration uh, or you want to go your isotonic drinks which is a good combination of carbohydrates and electrolytes hydration there okay um, you don't want to go hypertonic you don't want your red bulls you don't want your colas because that's going to be high sugar it's going to be um, absorbed slower so that's not going to help with your dehydration uh, I think that covers it. So, so central fatigue is is a ba- it's probably the worst of all the ones we spoke about. It's worse than peripheral fatigue, but we only really get central fatigue if we get the peripheral fatigue first. Okay, so we put the body under stress through the peripheral fatigue, fuel depletion, calcium release, hydrogen ions, inorganic phosphate, dehydration, to name a few. Then we're going to get central fatigue because the body wants to take the brain wants to take over and tell you to stop. Um, as a chemically, we're gonna get a low pH. We don't like that. That's gonna cause um, glycolytic enzymes to shut off in the mitochondria. Uh, I think that probably covers it. Well, oh, it's enough. For, know, it's, a, it's a lot to take in, guys. I hope this isn't too technical. I've tried to keep it relatively simple. But hopefully, if you're listening to this now, you've covered most of the other content, so it probably all ties together quite well. Um, final part of the question. Uh, where are we? So, most people fatigued after riding five and a half hours or five hours, but then they feel okay for the first five k's of the bike. So what's going on there? So this is where this is where we go from local to global fatigue. All right. So so riding a bike is very local fatigue. It's very localized to the quadriceps and the legs in general. So you're gonna have you're gonna have yeah you're gonna have fatigue quads basically because uh, I'm not gonna, I don't know the exact percentages, but let's say you're on the bike. Let's say 80% of the work is being done by your quads. Yeah, and then you've got no, 10% by the calves 10% from the glutes and hamstrings right so it's it's very quad dominant of course it is it's, it's the the, the, mo- the motion of pedaling is very quad dominant So if you go from doing that to then going for the run, well, the run is more global fatigue, global meaning whole body, okay? So there's lots of moving body parts. You're moving your arms, which is helping with momentum. You're moving your legs, you're activating your calves, your your glutes, your hamstrings, and your quads, and your hip flexors, everything's working together so you can share the load around. So you're absolutely correct in that um, it's a different movement pattern. So rather than being 80% quads, 10%, 10%, we're actually going, all right, we're gonna be, we're actually 20% arms and we're 20% um, calves and 20% glutes, 20% hamstrings, 20% quads, whatever we got left. You know, we're cycling the load so that it's not um, localised to one area. Um, so that, that's why it's easy for the first 5K. And then beyond that, yes, they start to fatigue, but then, you know, at the end, back end of a race, then we're looking at the fuel depletion. You know, we can't keep up our carbohydrates or the calcium release is started to play a part or uh, we're becoming dehydrated, which therefore is starting to increase our hydrogen ions, which means our pH is getting lower. Um, then we we stop sweating because we're so dehydrated. So our central nervous system sends weaker signals and we become fatigued. So (laughs) it's a funny question because the answer is, is it's multifactorial, it could be one or many things and it's about finding out what's the cause and and how we can sort of um, delay that fatigue from occurring. So question we've got here, so when the muscle is fatigued, what does it run out of? Um, Yeah, it could be any combination of what we've just spoken about. So in terms of a practical takeaway from today, hopefully that's um, quite useful. But from, from a practical standpoint, I guess it's about all right. pick whatever your goal event is, try to figure out the, the possible fatiguing mechanisms which could play a part and then try to control them as much as possible. So let's like, sticking on the Ironman um, example, let's use Kona for an example. We know it's gonna be hot and it's gonna be humid. So we need to acclimatize to the heat. We need to go over 14 days, at least 14 days prior, and actually train for those 14 days at least 50% VO2 max, so that we can increase our sweat rate, so we lose more sweat, but we reduce the amount of sodium and electrolytes we lose. So we start to cool ourselves down more efficiently, but we don't lose the sodium and the salts so that we don't cramp and all that sort of stuff. Um, cramping's a whole other story. It's part of dehydration, peripheral fatigue there. Um, we know we have to race for you know 12 hours for an Ironman then we need to figure out all how many carbohydrates am i going to burn per hour at a certain intensity and can i manage to replace enough of that carbohydrate so that i can get to the end just before i run out of my stores okay so that's where you play around you can't just go flat out threshold the whole way that's where a race plan comes into play finding out what your energy expenditure is going to be and trying to to do the maths so that you get to the end just before you run out of everything Um, hydrogen ion accumulation shouldn't be a massive factor if we can control the fuel depletion and dehydration because we probably shouldn't really be going at threshold It comes down to race strategy if you're significantly anywhere close to threshold for an Ironman it's gonna be a hard day for you Um, and yeah that probably covers it so just Think about what your race is, where you're going, and try to control the fatigue as much as possible. Fuel depletion, have a carbohydrate load prior to, make sure you're getting the right high GI stuff in during the event. Calcium release, maybe have some caffeine gels at the at the back end. So once you get, I don't know, uh, 100K into the bike, you start to have caffeine with your gels, just to mix it up and to ke- keep the calcium release going. Um, dehydration make sure you've got isotonic drinks probably isotonic because we want to replace carbohydrates if we just go the hypertonic we're not going to hydrate so no cokes and that sort of stuff um, at least in the mid sections and we don't want to go hypotonic because we need the we don't just want electrolytes we want carbohydrates as well um, so if you can control all that then we can hopefully delay fatigue as much as possible at the end of the day you're never going to get through an 9 man or a significantly long event without feeling fatigue but it's just about controlling as many variables as we can so that you can perform at your peak. Probably a slightly longer podcast than normal guys. I hope it was useful and I'll speak to you again soon.